Hello and welcome to another episode of the Create Don't Hate podcast. Uh, this week we have a very special guest, Mr. UK Sham, fastest man on the track in Singapore, current record holder of the 100 metres, educator, coach developer and lifelong advocate of the values of sport. We'll be back and catch him after the break. Welcome back. With me here, we have Mr. UK Sham. I'll let the man introduce himself. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me today. Yeah. Um, Mr. Sham, what do I call, what do I call you? UK? Just just call me Sham. Sham. I think everyone calls him Sham. Sham. Uh, firstly, a bit about my experiences with the man. Uh, I think the first time I heard of this man was when I was... I think it was in 2001. I remember very clearly I was in my grandma's house. I was in secondary three. In secondary three. Grandma's house on a square box television. I think that was the SEA Games. Uh, wow. Okay. 100 meter. I, I thought that I was way be, <laughs> way before your time. No, 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 okay. no. I'm not that young. Yeah, so so, so that was uh, SEA Games 100 meter final. And uh, that was the first time I saw this man in action. Uh, the, the the long galloping strides <laughs> and uh, that silver medal and the record. So it's really inspirational to watch him then. And then uh, from then on, I had a couple of interactions with him. Like he came down to help the rugby boys. Um, he, he helped us out quite a bit. Uh, sprints and, and our running technique and uh, some strength and conditioning sessions. And then also... I remember my worst encounter with him. I don't know if he remembers, but uh, we were in NTU back then and uh, he was there doing his post-grad. I think uh, in, in he was playing for Hall 3 uh, for the Inter-Hall oh, games. Yes. So he, he got roped in. He was already destroying the track and then he <laughs> got roped in to, to help out the rugby team. So I think back then... Uh, yeah, so to have someone running 10, 11 seconds on a rugby field is uh, is totally unfair. La. <laughs> so I think back then the, their strategy was to kick it far and then have him chase. And it was it was not funny. La. So yeah, <laughs> enough about my experience of Mr. Sham. So uh, maybe for today, maybe you want to let the people know uh, just just a bit about, I know you've had a long journey and for those of you who haven't read his his book, uh, what's, it, what's the book called? I'm running on empty. Running on empty, the story behind 0 0.01 seconds, <laughs> correct? Yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah, for those of you who haven't read his book, please go get it. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll let Sham share a bit about his his journey, just let him summarize a bit. Yeah, how he started, how he fell in love with running and, and uh, yeah, and then we'll take it from there. Wow, okay, thanks for having me. Um, my journey, I don't know where to start, but um, I guess I was very much like you, you know, uh, from St. Andrews and um, um, I started track late at like 16 years old and it was by accident, although I had really loved uh, sprinting. I think it was a confidence issue. I, I didn't really dare. So I was like dabbling, you know, in playing a bit of rugby, uh, but quite, a, I, I would say, a bit um, of a wanderer, a bit, uh, you know. Um, and it was actually when I was 17 that I got uh, more serious about track and, and, you know, started training like three times or four times a week. Um, but the person who, who uh, talent spotted me was uh, this uh, PE teacher called Thomas Tan and he was quite iconic in, uh, in, in St. Andrews at that time. Mm. Um, um, and then after that, uh, so when I was 17, I, I won the, the B-Boys. I had been in track for maybe, I don't know, maybe eight, nine months, something like that. Mm. Yep. Um, and I was still quite a slacker you know didn't <laughs> didn't uh, didn't want to study a bit distracted but I think also sounds like the typical St. Andrews boy St. Andrews boy <laughs> don't tell anyone 
Yeah, and but also, um, I think I was really quite uh, affected by my parents' divorce. So it was, I was kind of like uh, dislocated, you know, we had to shift out of the house and then I had to change school and all that. So I was uh, emotionally a bit messed up and not not so focused. But the, the funny thing is that I, I realized that, uh, you know, after I had discovered track, I realized that I really wanted to keep running the, the, the national schools competition. Mm. And that, ironically enough, made me study a bit, at least. <laughs> uh, and I realized that, oh my, you know, you just discovered running, what it's like to run in a national stadium. Uh, I, I'm sure you, you, you remember what it's like to play in the B division at the, at the Padang and, and all that, right? Did you all, did you all or, or in the A division, for instance? Yeah, um, I wasn't so fortunate like, during my time. Uh, I shared with the guys, I think a few episodes ago, about how uh, I, I fell in love with rugby, not because of all these things, because I we, we didn't have the opportunity. Oh, okay. So to, yeah, yeah, it depends were, on the batch, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those were really dark times for St. Andrews. Rugby, yeah. Yeah, so we never never went anywhere near to thinking about winning. So I think, but that that's the that's the beauty of sports in the sense that exactly. we are fighting our own battles and and at different stages the 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 team is at different points. Exactly, right? exactly. Um, yeah, doesn't it's not a given, right? You no. are in Saint Andrews means you exactly. It's not a given. But well, well, I was at a point in the the history of Saint Andrews where it was, I mean, mm, yeah. sort of a given, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was always a, a Saints versus uh, Raffles kind mm. of and iconic lah, right? Those are. Those are uh, battles yeah. that. Uh, so the, the school evolved; it goes through ups and downs. But yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think I read uh, you. You were part of the B Division four by hundred team that upset the defending yes, champions. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Saint Andrews. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. And that was just after like what seven eight months of running like, yeah properly. but i mean to to uh to the credit it was a four by one so it yeah. was the other three but yes i had just joined track uh, uh thomas tan had, had mm. uh, picked me out like i think uh probably in, like january or something mm. and then the national schools was was in uh july or mm -hmm. august so but it's the the strength of the four but uh, at that point, you know, uh, ACS was still like a, a branded school. And yeah. then for the, the St. Andrews guys to just suddenly come <laughs> and, and win. At, at that point, of course, it's just a national school medal, but it was the world to us, like, you know, yeah, as, yeah, as teenagers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, like, yeah. oh my God, yeah, we did it like yeah. unknowns. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't have anyone that was like individually that fast. Like mm. we didn't have anyone that was in the, the B Division 100 final, mm. but just the four of us and the way. No one in the finals. And, no, and, no one. Okay. Everyone was decent, that but is, as a team, like our passing was so good and, and Thomas Tan had prepared us so well that, wow, we won. <laughs> that is that is interesting yeah yeah okay so um yeah i mean um and i i guess my career blossomed when i went to raffles mm. um and and i worked with thomas tan after uh after the o level and before we start the the first three months yeah. Uh, yeah. At, at jc mm. and that's when i made a big uh leap uh, you know and I, I really improved a lot and then i i started getting like uh, attention because you know I was, uh, you know, running age group records and all that. Mm. Uh, and then I was also actually un unprepared because I had run for like one and a half years. Yeah. Uh, one year plus. Lah. Yeah. So I don't really know the sport them well. Yeah. But also learning, learning, you know, and trying to cope. Yeah. And, yeah. I think the that that fact that you men just mentioned, to, be, to pick up the sport after a year and a half and to be like, reaching a point where you are breaking age group records and winning titles, that is something you almost don't see nowadays anymore, right? Uh, yeah, I think uh, that that's a good point. I think because maybe it might be reflective of our system in mm. the sense that mm. we may be seeing a lot of medalists who have been training probably too much. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, it might be also a reflection of like... Um, being insistent on on results yeah and that can be I, i'm sure as a p teacher you know like counterproductive right yeah. uh, training too much at, at a young age uh and then you will realize that they stagnate after a certain point yeah so that whole idea of long longevity is is no longer there la. yeah i think there are 
systemically there are so many factors to consider exactly. right exactly uh, the kids nowadays they have so many things to think about uh, school work family issues and, and, and all these factors come into play and then you still expect them to train how many times a week how many hours and then they are supposed to chase targets certain numbers and yeah. all that. so it is I think it, it works against us in the sense that we are very results driven yeah so um, there's always this pressure of, of trying to do well mm. and are, are we overdoing it uh, are parents actually pushing their kids too hard or mm. are the parents living vicariously <laughs> through the kids living their dreams yeah living their dreams like oh I didn't <laughs> uh, I, I didn't get to you know uh, mm. get this medal or go ASEAN schools I'm gonna you know make sure and of course it's it's in good faith right you want the best for your kid but sometimes uh, less is more la, yeah right so uh, I think we may see, the, see that in certain sports in, in the sense that the parents are over-enthusiastic uh, mm. and, and uh, we need to take a step back and sometimes think about are uh, the kids coping well? Yeah. Uh, is this what they really want? Mm. Uh, and are we rushing, uh, rushing them in terms of uh, training loads and, and what, what is appropriate for training? Yeah, I think the, this point... Uh, it's a double-edged sword, right? It's parents. a double-edged sword. You have, you have athletes in Singapore, whatever sport they are in, you have those without parental support. They are on their own. Yeah. They are, you know, they are trying to find motivation to keep away from distractions. And then you have those with so much parental support. support they, yeah. they feel so... Uh, pressurized. Uh, pressurized. Yeah. And, and, and they have no escape. No right. escape, exactly. Yeah. It's a bit like the it's like the tuition syndrome, lah, right? Uh, a lot of the kids are sent for like three or four tuitions mm. a, a week. Mm. I'm, I'm sure you know that. Their timetables, their calendars packed, off. Yeah, packed. no youth, yeah. no social life. And and also that, you know, they might be sent for different types of training or, or training three times a week. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. a very delicate like balance like there is no, I don't, I don't think there's a quick fix or there's any no hard and fast fix. solution. It, 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 this might be a problem of the middle or upper class. <laughs> if I mean, if you yeah, talk yeah. about, you know, that they come from a certain socioeconomic state, you yeah. know, like level that the parents can afford. Yeah. Uh, but that in itself may be the problem. Yeah. Um, and then you, you may find, like, you know, uh, peers or I've seen so many people that were super talented mm. and then after a certain point, they just uh, got injured or they just got sick of it and then they dropped off the radar. So this whole idea of like the attrition, you know, yeah, how many yeah. people are leaving the sport, I think a lot of us just take it for granted that it's natural. Yeah, yeah. you know, normal. Yeah. And we take it for granted is one thing, but we also think that yeah, la, there, then we just find the next person. Yeah, correct. But what about the guys that actually, you know, put in so much effort, effort. during their, their their schooling time and, and their commitment and all that, and then we just, okay, move on, next person. Next person. I mean, uh, of course, you know, they're entitled to feel that there are other things that are more important to them. You know, mm. when you feel like, hey, you know, I've had enough of the sport, uh, I want to leave, I want to study, fair enough. But I think we also need to think about the people who actually still love the sport, but they just somehow couldn't continue. Yeah. Um, and and whether more could have been done, you know, even by us to help them, you know, continue or to make them see how things could be ironed out such that they could continue. Yeah. Because if it means uh, continuing in uni, uh, when at one point you felt that, no, I, I have to stop. Yeah. Uh, then and after uni, the person will look back and say, you know, wow. I tried my best yeah, and yeah. this is where I went. I went that bit further yeah. or I was stuck, but I still love the sport and I know now I can close that chapter because I tried my best. Yeah. That that sense of closure. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think exactly what DM mentioned last week. Um, we can't, we can't go till we're age uh, 50 or 45 <laughs> and then say, wow. What if? I want to start representing Singapore now. Yeah. I want to start training now. Yeah. You know, physically it's just not possible. So you only have that one window. Window exactly. And, and um that window closes after a certain period of time. And uh it's about it's about it's about all these factors tying together. Like yeah. You have passion, you have opportunity. Personality have, type. Yeah. Personality type, whether you you are you you are able to take the stress, whether you can manage this, whether how how much you want to push. There's all these factors. And um I think for you personally, I you've went through went through some of these um uh, things. Maybe you wanna you know share with us um 
after after you started coming into prominence after your running became uh, uh, you after you became more noticeable as a track track and field star and all that uh, I mean I've seen those uh, magazine covers of you you know <laughs> with the blue steel look <laughs> and, yeah so so after you after you you realize that hey this is something that that you can really pursue and that was what after JC towards the end of JC or whatever you know a bit of what what went on after that wow um I, I think after JC, I had this big dream of, of, of actually uh, going to UCLA to study. Mm. Because uh, I think you read the Mothership article, yeah. my, my best friend Timothy had mm. was, was going to go there. And so just like how we we hear about, you know, Kwa Chung Wen and, 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 and schooling having yeah. gone to the NCA system, yeah. we, we, a lot of us had that dream, you know, in, in the early 2000s as well. Yeah. Um, just because... Uh, the NCA system has has uh, the the caliber of competition, you know, and yeah. and that whole tradition. It, not not to not to put down our local system, yeah. but just at that point, it was just really conducive, mm. Um. And um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. The, the, no, I think the even now, if you watch the NCAA system. Uh, whether it's football or swimming or whatever, the the standards are so high. The standards, high, yeah, correct. Right? And the culture, the cul- I think, it's yeah, also exactly. a mindset thing in the sense that, yeah. um, what is probably lacking in our in our university system now is that the the academics is still prioritized. Yeah. Uh, and then so it's up to the individual to plan their their rugby training and all around yeah, yeah, that, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, whereas in the NCA system, it's very normal to be a student athlete. Correct. It's very normal for your for your friend in the next tutorial group to to be a Olympic qualifier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the there's a balance in terms of priority lah, like you know your training and and your studying and and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think that just inevitably makes things easier and and when you're running with people who are Olympic semifinalists and all that, I I, I think it's it's easier. Um, as opposed to, let's say, if you're a swimmer or a tracker uh, in Singapore, yep. you don't just you just don't have that that pool to uh, that talent pool to compete with on a on a daily basis. Yeah. So you so you will have to go out and you know go to regional competitions yeah. to get that kind of uh, exposure. Yeah. But the NCA system means that you have that ready pool on a on a weekly basis yeah. or even a daily basis, lah. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea of the student athlete is, uh, is, is, is spot on. Because I think, as I was talking to DM the other day or so, um, you, once you reach that age, right, 18, 19, 20 or whatever, you are at the prime of your physical prowess. Yeah, correct. You are, your body is able to handle more, you are able to run your fastest, your fittest and whatever. And right? then I think psychologically also, yeah. if you are focused, you you are not easily broken. You yeah. have that gung-ho yeah. kind of attitude. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, and that is a, a big thing lacking in our university system. Uh we like to say that there are student athletes, <laughs> but like you said, uh, there's there's limited competition, there's limited exposure locally. The the athletes have to travel overseas to find any substantial form of competition. And by the time they do that, it's also minimal exposure, right? They're not able to go there for what? One year, two years? Yeah, correct. Uh, so it's always short short stints and, and yeah, it is it, tough, lah, but yeah. I think there's more like so it depends on depending on the sport that you're in mm. uh, the support structures in some sports are very very comprehensive yeah. like uh, and it's also I think like has to do with your family structure as well yeah. so yeah. Uh, so certain NSAs uh, you know the policies and support structures are a lot more elaborate mm. uh, and uh, and then in, in certain sports not so la. Mm. so I think it's still uh, there's still room for for improvement but we mustn't forget one thing, it's the, the personality type also. Yeah. So sometimes you you can have all the talent, uh, and some you know, you come come uh, come across roadblocks, but are we going to just always just push it and blame the system and exactly. say, Oh, you know, the coach is lousy or yeah, they, they said that uh, they don't want to give me a wild card, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. I didn't hit the qualifying mark, but why didn't they send me? Uh, so it's also about mindset, right? Yeah. Uh 
this whole issue of wild card, like you want a wild card, but in other sports, people are just aiming for qualifying. Exactly. I want, I want to hit the A qualifying. A final, B final, yeah. qualifying times. Yeah, correct. You know. So, uh, it, it's a very delicate balance between personality type. Are you going to say, okay, uh, the NSA was unfair to me this time or they weren't necessarily that supportive and then forget it. I, I, I'm not going to waste my time and walk mm. away. Whereas you may have the athlete B who's going to buckle down and say, okay, next season, I'm going to hit the qualifying yeah. mark. So that that's the inherent difference. So it's a very complex mix of like policies and, and, and an ecosystem as well as, as whether the person is going to push that extra. The I think the, the biggest thing that you mentioned was mindset. Mindset. Because if your mindset is right, you have a growth mindset, yes. you, you always see yourself as, hey, Next time. Hey, I'm Next on my time. path. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the right path. I'm training hard. The numbers will get better. I will get there. As opposed to, I should be there. You know? Why am I not there? Exactly. Or, ah, yeah, so difficult. Ah, must, uh, you, I, I, need to, I need to go for training at 7 a.m. Ah. No, la, eh, forget, it, la. forget it. La. <laughs> really? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the thing, right? And the, going back to the point where you mentioned about the NCAA system, um, you... You are in the you are in the company of people with that same mindset. Kind of mindset, yeah. The gang ho mindset, the no fear Correct. kind of thing. So yeah, train at five a.m. Yeah, train. After yeah, that, catch up on my yeah. class. After that, afternoon gym yeah, weight session. Exactly. You know. So you are in that same company, and and that's where you have your your real holistic education, yeah. like in a in a sense. Actually, uh, this reminds me of uh, about uh, my experiences when um, I I don't know whether you read my book, but at one point. Uh, when I had quit the sport, Uncle mm. Ping Siong, yeah. Uncle Ping Siong, he, he sort of like adopted me. Yeah. And then he literally told me to, to come back to the sport. Mm. And then so I was training with the swimmers of, of my batch. Mm. Uh, people like uh, Mark Che, you mm. know, uh, mm. Gary Tan mm. and, and, and all that, Leslie Kwok. Mm. And, and so they were all at uh, APSC. Yeah. And that was my exposure to the whole concept of mindset yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the lifestyle because I was coming from uh, a spot where I, I felt the mindset wasn't like it wasn't so formalized mm. and there were no not enough systems in place yeah. so just by being in Uncle Ping Siong's uh, uh, the club itself I, I got a glimpse about the lifestyle so they were putting in the hours so people like Mark and all that uh, you know they would train in the morning yeah. at six something yeah, yeah. and and then after that go to school and yeah. then evening they would train again of yeah. course a lot of them had supportive like parental uh, yeah, structures yeah. You but know. still but still yeah, you, exactly. you need to you need to uh, get up at six and be willing to train before assembly rather exactly. than switch off the alarm and say I'm not going to go for this session exactly so double session necessarily means that you put in the training hours mm. that uh, takes you on that pathway to being a high performance athlete, mm. um, And that was a uh, that was that was that was a, a glimpse for me into what was needed to to get the results mm. in terms of unwavering like consistency. Yeah. Am I putting in the hours? Is it weights training in the morning? track work or, or pool work in the afternoon, you know, yeah. uh, six days six days a week. I think it helps a lot, right? Like like you mentioned, when you have all these structures in place, uh, you don't have to worry about other things. You don't have to worry about, um, I don't know, other 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 decision-making situations, whether you have a track or train to train on, whether is the gym open, whether are you going to get there? Or I think a lot of us in Singapore actually have all these things. Exactly. But it's whether we want to, and sometimes we'll have to step out of the comfort zone. Like you yeah. said, like, okay, lah, um, I would I would have to take a bus somewhere. It's a just bit do it yeah. Just do it lah. Yeah. Because at, after a certain point, it might be an issue of making excuses. Also. Yeah. How how badly do you want to go for the next sea games? Yeah. Yeah. And and are you going to just step back and say, oh, you know, not that conducive. I I, yeah. I think I would rather just like yeah. party every day or. Now Rash is talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Oops. Yeah. So um. Okay. For those of you who don't know uh the story about Uncle Ping Xiong. Uh, it's in his book. Uh, he shared about Sham shared about how at his lowest point, uh, he he left the sport. 
uh, he, I mean, because of funding and other personal reasons, he, he had no no other way to continue. La. And then he met Uncle Peng Xiong, who, who actually uh, offered to give him a job uh, at his uh, swim, swimming swim school. Swim yeah. school. That's when Uncle Peng Xiong said, you know, take this money, um, feed yourself, but I want you to train and I want you to, yeah, you know. He literally, he yeah. literally dragged me to the track and he literally spotted me in the gym. <laughs> yeah. And he was benching like 100 <laughs> at that point. We need like another 100 Uncle Peng Xiong. <laughs> yeah, so, so, um, yeah, I think the, I mean, I read your book. I think I read your book twice. Wow. Yeah, and I, and I, I, I have students who who might uh, be be experiencing uh, crossroads in their sports and all that, and I always try to offer the book to them, lah. Hey, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think the I think like you mentioned, la, la, the in Singapore we we are very fortunate. Uh, we have so many things to complain about, but we. If you look on the other side of the coin, right? We Actually, have. There are options. Uh, there are many options. Yeah. There are many options. If the gym is not open, there are another ten that are open around you. And tracks that are ah. available, and a lot of us have actually money for meals and all that. Exactly, we are very fortunate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We are very fortunate. There are, I mean, even in the US, you hear of stories where these athletes are also, you know, living out of their cars and just to pursue their so-called Olympic dream. Oh, yeah. And um, I think I read the, the track and field team in the US. How many, I think they have like hundred, their sprinting pools, like what? How many hundreds yeah, of athletes? Huge. All of them can run 10 seconds, yeah. but only one or two can you know, make it to the Olympics and then... Yeah. And and I think there, like, when they have Olympic trials, it's that day. If you're, that day, you're exactly. not on form. Exactly. I don't care what sort of name yeah. you have. And they don't have all this, like... So, in certain countries, they don't have this idea of, like, wild cards no, and, and all no. this. Kind. You make the trial, you yeah. qualify based yeah. on your own merit. Exactly. Right? I, I, I watched a couple of the trials. The big names, if you're not there, you're not there. Not Too there. bad. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So... Next, uh, yeah, we keep talking about the challenges. Let's let's talk about something more positive. What is your, in your sporting career, in your running career, what's the best sporting moment? Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, that, that's a tricky question. I guess you could say best sporting moment was when, um, when I actually ran at the Kuala Lumpur Sea Games. Mm. Actually, in the larger scheme of things, you know, just going sea games, it's 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 no no big deal. But I think just for me, it was an achievement because it was coming on the back of like uh an earlier sea games where they didn't allow us to to go for it because we you know we had missed the qualifying mark yeah, yeah. and and they had actually they made us sign legal agreements saying that we can't uh, can't run the hundred meters. Yeah. Right. It's all in the book. <laughs> I read. Yeah. So it. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it was like there there were a lot of like policies within SA at at that time yeah. that was not necessarily conducive for you to improve as an individual athlete mm. because they say oh you needed to focus on the relay you 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 know yeah. and in the hundred you you if you you don't have a chance so it was a chicken and egg thing because. Uh, for you to run uh, 10-3 or 10-4, you need to run the 100. And it's true that exposure that, that you get faster and faster. Yeah. Whereas they say, oh, you're running 10-6, so I think you shouldn't run the 100, just focus on the relay. So, <laughs> so yeah. you were kind of stuck in a loop. La. So, yeah. I mean, running at that Kuala Lumpur Sea Games was, was, was significant to me because I had quit, you know, yeah. about a year back. Uh, and I was uh, brought back, you know, by Uncle Ping Siong, mm. you know, like literally given food to eat. And it was also uh, trying to fight for the right to be given the chance to run the 100. And mm. I had qualified uh, for it. So there were a lot of naysayers that were saying that, you know, uh, you can't make it and all that mm. kind of thing. Mm. Um, and, and to me, I was happy because it meant that uh, after a while, there was actually... Uh, to uh, a Singaporean or, or two Singaporeans at the SEA Games, mm. uh, you know. And I always felt that, you know, if the Thais could could run 10.3 and the Malaysians could, then wh- why there's no reason yeah. why we couldn't. Yeah. Um, and also it was significant to me because my parents were in the audience. Mm. Uh, my parents were divorced. 
Um, and my dad, of course, had told me not to waste my time on <laughs> on sports. As with all Asian dads. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but it was amazing because my parents didn't talk. Uh, but that, uh, me running in the final, I think, like brought them together. Even if it was on a cordial level. Yeah. Uh, but I had not seen my parents talk or, or even live in, in the same home for so many years, mm. like maybe nine, ten years. Mm. So that was just like like magic for me. I, it's something that a lot of us take for granted yeah. that you have a, a, a family where your mom and dad are in the same house. Yeah. But I had never experienced that, you know, for, mm. un, since I was like 12, 13. Mm. So just seeing them in the crowd was like amazing to me. Yeah. And, and it was a chance for me to to like repay all the people that stood by me, you know, like Uncle Ping Siong and, and Pedro and, and even thinking about Thomas Tan who who, who spotted me when I was 16 years mm. old like, and mm. I, I knew that he was watching. Mm. So uh, it was it was just a silver medal, but uh, it was a lot of years just to be able to to run in that final. Yeah. Uh, I think because of, of, of the way life panned out, like you said, you yeah. know. It's, it's not just about the medal, man. It's not just about the medal. Yeah, it's like, just like this. people think that um, wow, hundred meters silver medalist, uh, you know, Yukesham. But that's why I ask you, what's the best sporting moment, not the achievement? Because to me, I I, I see sports as a whole myriad of uh, moments. Exactly. Right. Personal Although, moments. Personal moments, and and each individual athlete, whether you're playing in a team sport, rugby, hockey, soccer, whatever, whether you're running individually or part of a quartet you have your own personal moment right whatever the stadium is whatever whoever is broadcasting the the race or whatever the competition is you have your own personal moment um like like sham said sea games may be nothing to to most of you out there you know i see the swimmers yeah, I mean, this I is think. not disrespectful but i see the swimmers and the water polo guys every sea games they are there every sea games they are winning medals so to them it's like a it's, not, it's like a common thing but for 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 you that was a, your moment at that at that point i think that was the best that could be done with the the climate yeah, and yeah, and yeah. like the leadership at that time or yeah, the policies yeah. that it was really not not really yeah. that the the, the context la, the context yeah. was important and uh yeah so that was your moment uh, and yeah well i ha- i mean i had a i mean i dreamt of going to the olympics and, mm. and i was a b qualifier mm. but uh i i quit <laughs> <laughs> i mean a few years later things got uh, you know, unmanageable. That yeah. I never saw that that dream fulfilled. Uh. So mm. that that that's part and parcel of of uh, sports in the sense and and life as well. I think it, yeah. it's about you also knowing when to let go and and coming to terms with accepting that certain things are beyond your control yeah. or even accepting your shortcomings and failures. Uh, self realization. Self realization. Yeah. Exactly. I mean. Um, yeah, sometimes I do look back at and think about what I could have done better or, you know, if I could have reacted better such that I could continue or, you know, well. Yeah. But it's all hindsight. It's <laughs> not, it's not yeah, exactly. fair. I mean, it's not fair to, to think about it because you made the decision and you 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 did what you did back then in that context. In that context, yeah. Now with your knowledge and experiences, of course you might have thought differently. Like you yeah. may have gone a different way or a different approach or yeah, and, and I think that's how we learn. Yeah. So okay, so how was it like after after that 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 moment for you? Um what did it mean for your sporting journey and post sporting journey? Wow, that was that was really significant because I most of my life I had uh, just been training alone or reading from uh, textbooks uh, on, on periodization, Tudor Bumpa, right? Principles yeah, yeah. of periodization yeah. and speaking to Mr. K, those, mm. you know, or training alone uh, during a national service. So after that, I because I had also broken uh, Mr. Kunalan's record, mm. I, I really had... We, we were not in a paradigm, uh, we're not in this paradigm where now we have Olympic champion. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think uh, just by virtue of the 100 meters, uh, that there's a, just a natural uh, attention like globally, right? Mm. So after that, my, my life changed in the sense that I had, you know, so many corporate sponsors like like Tag Heuer and mm. Nike and mm. Osim and, and, and uh, Oakley and all, all these. Mm. 
So I, it was like a Rex to riches story. Suddenly, mm. I had, had so many sponsors that I could choose. Um, and also, uh, thankfully, uh, Singapore Sports Co- Council came up and then uh, I was going to be the first uh, student athlete to do my degree uh, locally at NUS yep. uh, and train full time. Mm. Uh, and then uh, there was this option of, of course, like going to UCLA mm. uh, or, or staying here. Mm. Uh, but I chose to stay here because I would be the first one to try that out. Uh, and I had met my coach, Pedro, uh, Pedro, who had actually brought me to that national record, uh, you know, in those few months. And so uh, he put in place a lot of structure and I, I learned about the rigor of, of training, the, the you know, how you need to be meticulous about every detail. Yeah. Because I was coming from a laissez fair. Yeah because I didn't have a coach right, right yeah. for many so on years your own. on my own and then I also my training approaches I I didn't quite know I was like talking to different people and and so like the pieces of the puzzle uh, didn't come together until Pedro told me okay these are the things that need to be changed you need to look at everything from your training load to your volume to uh, you know, where you put different units, how many rest uh, days and all that kind of thing. So it was really uh, like suddenly you get pulled in, pushed into a, a pro- professional or almost professional setup. Lah. And so Pedro gave me an insight about what people from other countries did mm. uh, in terms of uh, how scientific you need to be. And and also the, the amount of discipline that you needed uh, or uh, even the knowledge about the, the, the training approaches that I, I felt at that point in track and field locally people, people unheard of la, at that point huh? unheard of la, at yeah. that time um, and so my life really changed la, because it was uh, probably like uh, into the limelight also overwhelmed pleasantly but at the same time uh, pressure uh, and then training twice a day and uh, being in NUS. So it's like really train in the morning and then you go for tutorials yeah, in the afternoon yeah. and then train in the evening. And then um, I was invited to Australian Grand Prix, which which at that time you basically needed to run near, near world class, mm. uh, you know, 10-4, 10-3, and then you, it's by invitation. Yeah. So it's it's stressful because you're doing term papers uh, on the plane and then yep. you reach uh, Sydney airport, then you email it to your lecturer yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you uh, you uh, you got to reset because the next morning you got race. Then you yeah. uh, pre-competition. Well, whereas you're, you're thinking everyone else is like, oh, you know, they have the whole week to yeah. prepare, relaxing. Yeah, exactly. Then getting ready for the weekend. You know, I, I, I went through that as well. I'm, I mean, I, I wasn't world class or that what, jug- but it's the same right? thing. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so it's about and, and then I saw like okay so I touched down in Sydney and then you're going for the pre-com warm-up and then you see some of the Olympics finalists like Matt Shervington Patrick Johnson and they were training full-time but I think they were not juggling the, the, the studies part mm. but then you know like you got to switch yeah. okay stop thinking about your political science essay <laughs> <laughs> and then you know it's like focus 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 and yeah. then you're just thrown into the deep end because the level of competition at that point is like wow different it's really different and it's an eye-opener and and one thing i realized is that so i i got exposed to that at a very late age because of you know Mm. the way things panned out but these people had been at that level of competition for many years so if you're talking about um, qualifying for Asian Games and all that, which which, which I, I did, la, I qualified for Asian Games. But a lot of them don't get medals in their first Asian Games. Mm. It's it's like you you qualify, so you're Asian standard. You go for your first Games, you might not necessarily get a medal. Yeah. It's probable that you may go through the one or two rounds and then kicked out. You yeah. have to go through another because cycle. Because you have... Your Japan's, your China's, exactly, and, all, that. and yeah. all these Japan's and China's and all that, they are they are training professionally and full time for many many years. Yeah. So we also need to be. You can't expect you train full time for one year and then oh, I want to be in the Asian yeah. final. Yeah, it needs to be really a four year cycle of uninterrupted training. Yeah. And some of them who we if we watch the last Asian Games, you say that they are medalists or finalists. 
they were there in the previous three games. They had been kicked out mm. in the first round or second round. So it, uh, we also need to have a mindset change and, and don't think that, oh, I trained uh, you know, full-time for one year and I'm, my goal is to get an Asian Games medal. Yeah. I don't think that <laughs> that's the way it works. Yeah. Um, goes back to what you said at the start. Uh, systemically, we have certain expectations, uh, whether it's the numbers or, or, or the medals or the achievements. And uh, that usually is what drives our structures and our planning. Yeah, but so it should it should be the other way around. It, it should, should be coming from the individual grooming the talent first, grooming the getting the best out of the athlete first, and then the achievements, the medals, and all these will come. Exactly, but and and looking for the looking for the the right people and having a plan like so if we are talking about let's say some of your your juniors who want to uh, you know make it to the next SEA Games mm. what am I going to do as an individual to ensure that when the, the SEA Games trials are happening by SRU I'm going to leave an impression yeah. am I am I training six times a week yeah. um, am I saying uh, you know uh, am I going to do it regardless of whether you know I can train with the national team or not am I putting am I doing the weights am I yeah. uh, am I looking at agility and speed yeah. and all yeah. that and uh, I think the the missing thing I mean is the next point that we are going to talk about like what what do these guys need to 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 pursue a long-term and a successful sports career in Singapore. Um, I think the next thing is also like, like all these factors need to come into play, like mindset, discipline. And, exactly. and the thing that you mentioned about meeting Pedro, having a scientific approach, yep. I think that makes a big difference because a lot of times uh, um, if, if our programs are not right, the structures are not right, uh, a lot of talent goes to waste goes because to waste. these guys are sacrificing and they realize that, hey, I'm giving up so much time. But so I'm not much. improving. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So for them, it's frustrating because as the years go by, they have to start thinking about their future. They have to start thinking about university, and the time is running jobs, yeah. and, and, and yeah, that's the reality of, of what we are doing. That's why I actually feel that as, a, as an athlete, uh, we actually have to be thinkers mm. because you need to be your own critic. Yeah. Uh, so whether you are training on your own or you have a coach, you need to ask your coach, what is the rationale for, for this type of training? And what are my weaknesses? And then how I can, how I can correct that weakness? Because if you... If you're not methodical in, in what you're uh, identifying, you know, systemically what is wrong with you or where you can improve, then you cannot go on to the next level. Yeah. Uh, and that that mirrors what, what is done in, in the other parts of the world. That's precisely why you need a biomechanist. No, that's precisely why you need to take strength tests. Uh, and and measure everything that you do and periodize your training, mm. so that 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 formal like uh, scientific approach to to all sports need to be there. And I think you if you look at our our swimmers, and a lot of other sports that are in in good shape, right? They are very meticulous and methodical and yeah. looking at to even like recovery, my massage. You know, uh. I, I need like six competitions before I try and qualify. All these things really need to be put in place. Yeah, and and it like you said just now, it doesn't. It's not a one year program. No, <laughs> you you have to identify talent early. You have to see potential, and then from there you track, and you give them a program. Exactly. Like like I take take swimming for example. I mean, sw- swimming has always been producing medals, and there's a reason why. They have such an established system, and and I have I have students in my school that that like you said they 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 wake up at four a.m. to go to the pool, the OCBC arena to swim at five a.m. so that they are done by seven. They shower and they go come to, to school, school to yep. attend a full day of lessons, and then sometimes evening they still have to train with the, swim with their clubs and all that. Yeah, and this is like four four five times a week. It's hard work, and it and is. then we can juxtapose it with other sports where that is not really the norm. Yeah, uh, to train every day so yeah. therein in itself that there's a difference mm. of course in swimming I think because you're in the water the the the, the joint pressure and all that is, is different, is different I mean, but it's still it's, a lot of tiring. hard work and volume it's exactly. still tiring so you, you can ask yourself like how many of us in other sports are actually training uh, you know four or five times a week when we are at the stage to do that yeah. right yeah. Uh, and then uh, 
and expecting results. Like yeah. you basically, if we even just compare, let's say if you're in rugby or, or track, with uh, how much the, the the Malaysians or the Thais are training. A lot of them are training full-time. Yeah. And then when you go to the SEA Games, they've been training full-time for two years or yeah. three years. Yeah. Uh, and and are we just trying to train full-time for three months? Because, uh, I mean, I'm just giving you an example. Because I, I, I'm it's a, saying... It's a, it's a real example. <laughs> the last SEA Games, uh, not the last SEA Games, 20, 2017. 2017 SEA Games in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, Malaysia's home game. So the Rugby Sevens team, they I think they all got contracted for two years leading up to the SEA Games. Exactly. And they were already playing good rugby before that. So they got contracted, they got paid uh, training allowance and they got housed together. And then they went to South Africa, New Zealand. Exposure. Yeah, exposure. And they played all the tournaments leading up. And then it came to a point where before the SEA Games, they were you know competitive with your Asian countries like Japan and, and Korea yeah. and all that. And then that put them in good state for exactly. for for their even seat. psychologically. And then for yeah. and like what you like what like what I told you when I was exposed to that world stage, right? And mm. and it was an eye opener for me because I saw all these like Olympic semifinalists and all that for the first time. Mm. Uh, but you need to have been in that that system for a few years. Yeah. Uh, and you cannot expect that oh suddenly I go in and then I'm going. I mean, some people can do it, but yeah. sometimes you may physically you may be ready. Yeah. But psych- psychologically, yeah, you cool. just falter that one bit and then you're out. Yeah. And that's why a lot of these medalists at, at that level, at Asian level or even world level, right? They've been through a few. Mm. Like, oh, okay, this is their second Asian Games or their third Asian Games, that kind of thing. So it, it's not quick results. La. It, yeah. it really takes time. Yeah. Okay. Good chat, Mr. Sham. Uh, we, last two questions. No worries, no worries. Yeah. Um, do you think anyone is going to break your record? <laughs> wow. I mean, uh, of course, uh, of course, I don't think it's going to stay there forever. And yeah. In the larger scheme of things, we are now in 2020, yeah. right? 10.3 is okay. Not, not, nothing, to, nothing to crow about. Mm. Uh, it was done at a time under very uh, difficult like circumstances right mm. and this was 20 years ago when you know uh, training approaches and and mm. sport science and all was, been was, updated was, yeah, now, yeah. not we're not you know we were not where we are uh, now mm. so it should break <laughs> I mean we we should, should, uh, should we should break and I, I think we have we do have one or two talents mm. right Uh uh, personally, I, I actually feel that I could have run faster than 10 3. Yeah. Um, uh, like you said, like, I think you, you said in your book and, and some interviews also, you mentioned um, you take away some of those things outside the track and you throw a bit more support and, and less distraction. Uh, who knows what could have happened, yeah, right? I, I, I mean, I think because the sport in particular was quite political at that mm. time, um, it was a quite tough. Uh, but It but, seems to be becoming political now. Uh, uh, but I will but, not go into that. Yeah, I, I think now it's... Actually, now, in all honesty, I feel that track and field is... Uh, like the, the administrators and the policy makers are a lot more trying to give a lot of the athletes a lot more uh, uh, opportunity to race and all mm. that. So even if you talk about simple things like um, those days, if we didn't hit the bronze mark for the SEA Games, we can't go. Yep. And now we do have like, a, uh, if you're within a certain uh, performance window, even though you don't hit the mark, they'll send. Mm. So there's more nurturing and, and giving you the yep. chance. So I could easily say that they are, it's it's easier now than than, than those days, mm. right? So this is an issue of like qualifying marks and all that. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. When somebody breaks the record, we will get you in <laughs> to talk about it. But yeah, um, yeah la, advancement of sport and the technology and, and support from uh, Sport SG and, and things like that. Um, they are more, uh, I mean, now working in Sport SG, I, I see a lot, I really see a lot of elaborate schemes being put in place, mm. uh, you know, and NSA is being uh, given more support to yeah. ensure that there's a good support structure. Yeah. Uh, and there are more systems in place to, to allow for, you know, development and yeah. longevity. Yeah. I, I I I mean I I'm gonna be a bit critical here, but there a lot of it also like what you said 
and and the the overriding theme throughout this conversation is also it also boils down to the individual right yeah mindset and and how much you want it if you want to if you want to pursue that dream i'm sure there are opportunities and there's support available there is you, you need to you need to do be a bit proactive yeah. I, i mean we did acknowledge that family right yeah, family yeah, yeah. but fundamentally you yourself have to want it first exactly. you cannot say that oh, maybe i want to try this yeah. and then you expect support to come and help you exactly it's yeah. because it's also a chicken and egg thing Correct. right you you can uh, you can run like you know like 11 seconds and say okay i i, I want financial support yeah, yeah. Uh, Uh, you you need uh, uh, we need to be fair to the system in the sense that if they are going to invest in you they you we also need to give them reason to invest because it you know public funds mm. right so that that the duties and responsibilities on on both sides lah yeah okay last thing um any any advice or words of inspiration to to younger guys out there trying to go far in sport whatever sport they are doing i i firstly i think that like we i think we all kept uh, in, both insisting that it, it, it has to start with you right that you you yourself need to feel that this is something really meaningful and important to you uh and um that that love for sports is is about passion you yeah. you cannot always like examine it by that uh, pragmatic calculus lah yeah. like if if it stirs your dreams right Uh, if if the the whole idea of of being on that field like in a final really just like ignites your imagination mm. and you're really looking forward to be able to train then carry on training mm. right uh, but pragmatically in the sense like what can i do to to get better yeah i think we have resources you know there are there are coaches that we can speak to uh, you know uh, older athletes that have been through the system And I think we also have the internet, doing research, reading up, talking to people. Uh, that will somehow give us a, a general direction. Um, and I, I, I think it's about being proactive, actually. Yeah. Uh, and now, of course, realistically, in in some sports, it's easier in the sense that you will have pre-existing like frameworks and and support structures mm. that are. That you know where it's easier to be successful. Yeah. Not easier in the sense that you don't need to put in the work, but yeah. uh, there are support nets, you know, yeah. and processes. Um, but I think if, on some level, on a very basic level, at, at least uh, if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, and it needs to start with like you finding out if you're doing the right type of training. Mm. And then dragging yourself out from bed and and putting in the hours and hard work and then reflecting on your training, talking to to coaches uh, and and finding out where you can improve, uh, and getting that sort of exposure. Yeah. Okay, so you heard it from the man himself. Uh, wise words, inspirational stories, and of course, if you haven't read. Go and get his book. Uh, this is Mr. UK Sham, fastest man in Singapore, and um, yeah, always a privilege to talk to you. Always inspirational to, no, to always, interact with always you. Always <laughs> inspirational and fun yeah, to yeah. hang out with you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you, Mr. Sham. Thank um, you so much, Sydney. Yeah, and this is the Create Don't Hate podcast. Ciao.